Pearson Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. This physician travels the world with a carry-on suitcase and a backpack while practicing medicine. Now that is living the dream. Find out how she does it and how you can too. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. On today's episode, we have Dr. Christine Goins. She is a board-certified integrative adult and pediatric psychiatrist, physician coach, and digital nomad. And that last part is why she's on the show today. Having served in several healthcare settings and various leadership positions in academia, she witnessed the impact that burnout, stress, and work-life imbalance can have on our lives. So motivated by a desire to make a difference, she founded Nomad MD, where she empowers other doctors to do what she's been able to do, break the chains of traditional medicine to achieve location freedom and create their ideal nomadic lifestyle. Dr. Goins, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. <laughs> I almost <laughs> believed that. I almost believed that. Okay, let's just get to the heart of the matter, right? What inspired you to hit the road to be a nomad instead of applying for a traditional office job? I have to tell you, I am jealous because, you know, before I went to med school, I had been backpacking. Mm -hmm. I went backpacking around Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, and then I went to med school in Buffalo. And I was like, Buffalo, huh? So this is the next four years. And I was like, when I'm done with my training, I'm going to take this show on the road and I'm going to do what you did. And then finished my training, moved to Long Island, got married, kid, house, kid, kid, nomadic lifestyle for me. So let's, well, this, we're not here to talk about me. So I'm <laughs> definitely jealous. What inspired you to realize that these opportunities were even out there? First of all, I'm jealous that you had those amazing experiences before medical school. So I don't, that's awesome. For me, it really started as a teenager. My best friend and I, who's, she's also a physician now, but we had this book club and we used to read these books by Eric Drum Dickey, who's an urban um, novelist. And he would write these stories about these amazing, intelligent, 
Black professionals who were world travelers and polyglots. And so although I could never actually travel anywhere as a teenager, I never left the country until I was already in medical school. I was able to travel in my imagination as a teenager. And so I was always really inspired by these characters. And I said, oh, one, one day when I grow up, <laughs> I'm going to be able to travel the world and learn different languages. So that really stayed with me. Though I continued my journey towards medicine because I wanted to be a doctor since I was eight years old, I was always trying to figure out how to make it fit, how to make travel intertwined with medicine. So, you know, we have that little summer off, like after the first year of medical school. So I spent that time in Costa Rica learning medical Spanish and live with a family. And then later in fellowship, we had a month that we could get really deep into any area that we wanted to study further. And so I was a yoga teacher, really loved yogic philosophy and Buddhism. And so I spent my month in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery in Nepal learning about uh, meditation. And so that experience for me was back to, wow, travel is really one of my life's passions outside of medicine. Having this really beautiful, intense experience kind of opened me back up. And then throughout training, there's always been this, I wouldn't say in medical school, it was burnout, but there was a lot of demoralization. And so along with this joy for medicine that I always had and love I have for working with different communities and patients, there was always this burnout, depression. I remember I would be on rounds. Cynicism. So I think like the cynicism. I remember we would always be like, living the dream, right? Like we're all just being miserable together. And we were like, but this is how it's supposed to be. You know, like everyone's getting reamed out by the attendings. Everyone's made to feel like they're garbage. Like it's just, that's just how it is. That was yeah, normal. It's normal. It's normal. <laughs> Not okay, but you know, none of us were surprised by it. But yeah, exactly. Demoralized. So I could see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So you kind of feel like eventually it will shift. So, you know, you go through, you know, residency and fellowship, you might experience more or less of the same. I think it becomes more, you know, more work that you have to do, longer hours. I just kind of felt that it was always to the detriment of any other passions in my life. It was only that medicine could exist, really. And so for me, as someone who has so many different passions, I kind of got to this point, particularly as an attending, where it became so overwhelming that it led to the point of just physical exhaustion and depletion. You call that burnout, definitely to the point of depression as well. And I ended up in the neurologist's office because I would have spasms just throughout my body during the day. And I didn't, you know, I had convinced myself I had something that I couldn't get rid of. So I had to go to the neurologist to make sure that I could get treatment. And, you know, five minutes in, he, offered me Lexapro and to go on my way. And I was just like, if I'm at this point, there there definitely needs to be something that... At this point, you're a resident? No, oh, I'm an attending. You're an attending? Yes. At this point, I'm an attending. So, you know, this was kind of three years into being an attending and kind of feeling as though I have to make a decision to, to kind of move forward. And so I had always had a five-year plan of how I was going to live the academic life and then transition into my dream life of moving abroad and traveling. And during COVID, both of my grandmothers died 
And that really helped me, thank you. That really helped me to just appreciate time. I said I wanted to have five years, but I didn't mean I actually had five years. And so I turned my five-year plan to a five-month plan and I bought a one-way ticket to Cartagena, Colombia. And then I left. With a job or a room in a hotel? <laughs> you're like your toothbrush and a spare pair of clothes? Like elaborate more on I left. So when I left residency, I automatically got two jobs. I started working for myself, doing contract work, and I also started an academic position at the same time. Okay. What do you mean contract work? I was working as a contractor doing um, psychiatric work for organization, for like a turnkey practice. I just don't understand you don't what, know that what that means. When you say contractor, <laughs> I think you're like coordinating the painters and the floor and the HVAC person and um. the drywall person. Like that's when you're um, a contractor or you murder people for the mob, right? That's a contractor too. So, Not right. Quite. So when you say, so when you say contractor, I still don't understand what that means. So I was working as an adult and child psychiatrist, but through other organizations. So I didn't have my own practice. Nonetheless, you can have different organizations where everyone in that practice is really a contractor. They have their own LLC. So they're really working for themselves under some kind of umbrella. So I would work for other umbrellas so that I would have all the flexibility, but I also have access to their admin and things like that so that I didn't have to do all the ins and outs of business. Got it. And that's telemedicine, correct? At the time, it wasn't. Because this is back when I left training was back in 2018. That's interesting. I've never heard of that phenomenon outside of like locums, where they just full time hire you as a contractor and they're like an intermediary. Yeah, there, but there's all different types of positions and practices that do the same thing outside of locums. Oh, this sounds like a podcast unto itself. <laughs> yes. Contract work. Yes. Okay. So then you continued you continued doing that from Columbia? Now as clearly as telemedicine. Right. So and I had all, always done some aspect of telemedicine, even within academia. I worked in a lot of schools within DC worked in community centers and even some of my academic work, I would do like a day eventually that was dedicated to just telemedicine work. So I always did some telemedicine, but after I left academia, I made it exclusively telemedicine. Okay. So you get to Columbia, you're still doing this. Let's fast forward a little bit, actually, because this did not, it, that wasn't, hasn't been your only income stream, Right. Like you, when you hit the road, like this started off with this one income stream, which was this telemedicine through this contract work, then later ended up finding other ways to continue this nomadic life, like living abroad, but still practicing medicine remotely in the United States, correct? Yes. So being able to do the contract work and the consulting while traveling, yeah, but I, I really didn't need another, I, at that time, I really didn't need another income stream. I was already making more than enough, making probably as much as or more than what most primary care providers would be making anyway. So I didn't need another income stream, even working a couple of days a week. It just depends on, you know, people's lifestyles and how much, 
you know, how they circulate their money. Right. And now you're living in a country where the cost of living is much lower. And so you don't necessarily have to do extra work. But did you choose to do anything else? I mean, if the answer is no, I'm going to make it. That's kind of an offensive way to ask that question, I realize. So at the time when I left, my goal was to do nothing else, was literally to enjoy my life. And so at the time when I left, I decided to work two days a week. And that's what I wanted my lifestyle to be. And that's still what my lifestyle is today. Now I also do work as a physician coach, but I still fit it in that same lifestyle pattern of working two days a week so that I have my five days off to live my life the way that I want. That's just the lifestyle that I've chosen to live. So I felt I wanted to create a life where I, that I didn't need to vacation from and I didn't need to retire from. And so this is what I could do. But the coaching was born out of like, I figured out a way that I can live abroad and only work two days a week. If you want to do that too, call me and I can help you out. Exactly. I felt this is a secret that is just too good to keep (laughs) because I saw so many doctors suffering the same way that I was really suffering. And so I said, if you could have a life as a physician where you get to do your passion with medicine, but you also get to incorporate all these other passions that you have for life. And if you really love travel, which a lot of physicians do, it could be just a beautiful combination and tapestry of it all. I want to make the distinction between travel and vacation because you're living in that country in like an apartment and you're living there. You're as opposed to you're not staying on a resort where you're getting three meals a day at the all inclusive, right? Like it's travel, not vacation. And sometimes I feel like some people out there kind of conflate the two. They're like, I love travel. And it's like, dude, you were just in Cancun. You don't love travel. <laughs> you just like being on vacation. No, that is true. So I want to talk more about the this nomadic lifestyle of yours, but I do have a financial question and that is how do taxes work? Because you're living in these countries full time, but working for an American company, you know, billing American insurance companies, how does the tax situation work? I don't work for any companies that bill insurance. So then how does that work? So that makes it easier because they all, they're cash practices. None of them bill insurance. So that's how the patients find you then? Through this intermediary? Yes. Okay. They do all the marketing. They do all the billing. So then the question still stands, how do the taxes work? So for taxes, they work pretty much the same way they always work. As a physician living in the U.S., they work the same way. So nothing has changed about my taxes except that now I qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion and before I didn't qualify for it. The foreign earned income exclusion allows you to not be taxed for 2023 is to not be taxed on the first $120,000 that you have as income. As long as you meet one of two different requirements, one of them either being that you can show that you have a, a bona fide address in another country and you've been there throughout the year, or that you can show that you have not been in the U.S., for at least 330 days of the 365 days. Okay. So it's not about earning the money. It's about where you're living when you're earning the money. Yes. Interesting. Listen, anything we can do to pay less in taxes, right? Anything. (laughs) Anything at all. (laughs) It's interesting that they would do that. I mean, why would the government 
listen, we don't need a why for the government, right? Not every, most of this stuff doesn't make sense. But I wonder, you know, what would be the motivation for? Well, we don't need to dwell on that because we're not tax attorneys or accountants, and we don't care. We'll just take the win and go on to the next question. Yeah, it's a win. I feel like when it comes to the tax code, how does health insurance work for you living abroad? So I have international health insurance and people do it different ways. Like as a nomad, I don't stay in one country. And so if I was staying in one country, I would just get a plan within that country, which would be probably a lot cheaper than the plan that I have. But because I move every three months, usually to another country, I have international health insurance. So that covers me in every country in the world, except the United States of America by choice, because you guys are expensive. <laughs> so I'm covered and it, it's actually really great coverage is through, I shouldn't promote them because they're not paying me, but through Geo Blue is, is who I use. So it's, it's a subsidiary Blue Cross Blue Shield and it covers everything from preventative medicine, any prescriptions, any specialist. It'll do telemedicine. It'll do in person. It will do therapy. So if God forbid something more disastrous happened, they would fly me back to the U.S. If necessary, they would fly someone out to the hospital to be with me. So it really covers a lot. They would fly you back to the United States where you don't have healthcare coverage. If something disastrous happens and you get airlifted back to the U.S., because I don't live there, it would automatically make me qualify for the Affordable Care Act. So I would have health insurance. <laughs> got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. You got it all covered. This is why people consult with you. I'm sure you have a lot of like your colleagues that ask you questions like they're like, how do you do, right? What are some of the, or people that are consulting with you that like want to do what you're doing? So what are some of the misconceptions that people have about practicing medicine with a nomadic lifestyle? I feel like one of the biggest um, misconceptions that they have is at least this is what I get from other colleagues who are, you know, maybe more mid-career and above is that there's this image that I have like a really big backpack on and I'm just like staying at different hospitals every night. I don't know what they're imagining. That's kind of the idea that I think comes across in the conversation. And, and I try to explain like, if the flight is over five hours, I have to be in first class of business. Like that's just where I'm at right now because I need that and all flights are free anyway. So it doesn't really matter. So that's one kind of misconception. Well, that is going to be a podcast unto itself, Dr. Points, because um, we're, we're definitely going to need to explore that. But I don't think we have the time to cover all of that um, today, but look for it in future episodes. Um, so, OK. So aside from just how you fly, so you don't you're not like a yes, you're not a backpacker, right? You live there as a physician and you're just traveling different countries and, you know, just exploring what's out there. But do you have a big backpack? No, I just have a small carry-on suitcase. I live out of a carry-on suitcase <laughs> in a regular size. Really? Yeah. I sold my entire, I sold all my belongings and gave them all away when I left D.C. You have a carry-on suitcase and a backpack for everything. Holy cow, you travel light. Okay. I mean more misconceptions about how, like maybe misconceptions would be a bad word, but rather mental barriers that other physicians have to doing this themselves. Yeah, I think it's 
fear of not conforming, not kind of following. I feel like they kind of lay out a certain road for us and we're really used to following it. And so anything that seems like a diversion from that seems wrong, seems off. Like, what are you doing? You will get challenged not by not only by colleagues, but by your family, by your friends. My mom definitely had several talks with me before I left the country. She on board now? She, she's so on board now, of course. But that's usually how that works, right? After okay. you're a maverick and you go off, then everyone's like, oh, that was a great idea. <laughs> um, but in the midst of it, it does feel like you're doing something that's really crazy, you know, at, at, in the beginning. And so I think that it does take having a commitment to the life that you really want to design. It takes courage to go a different way than everyone else is going, particularly when you're a physician and you've been groomed to conform and to follow for many years. I think those are the two biggest barriers. And then I think it's trusting ourselves that we really know what we want and what's best for our lives and that we don't have to follow someone else's prescription for us in order to have the success and the fulfillment that we're looking for. Is there anything that you wish you'd known before that you were like surprised by or more prepared for? I think that I was surprised at the the level of clarity that I would get from being able to make such a journey. I was surprised that having that much time and space allow me to become a better physician than I ever would have become not having time, not having space or energy to kind of do my own work. I think that it's for the type of work that we do as physicians, it should almost be mandatory that we have some of this freedom to be able to give in the way that we often do give of ourselves to our patients and to the causes and the communities that we care about. So I was really surprised at how profound my life changed and how this gets relayed in in the work that I do with my patients and with my clients. So what is it that you, so it it sounds like there's certainly travel that goes on, right? Every couple of months you go to a new place. um, And so you're going to see what's around there and do the touristy stuff and maybe not so touristy stuff. But it sounds like there's a lot of introspection happening too. So is there like, is it because there's a lot of time alone then so it kind of forces you to do that? Or do you have like a specific way that you're going about it that's allowing you to explore yourself? I think it's a combination of both. I do have a lot of time alone because I still travel mostly, at least at this point in my life. But I think I'm also a psychiatrist, right? So that's kind of like where I lean in terms of introspection. I also spent a lot of time developing meaningful connections with in the communities that I travel to. So, you know, that you kind of talk about the difference between vacation and living somewhere, you know, and I live in these places. So I don't leave a country without having developed a certain level of a type of relationship with a local that's there to the point where if I come back, there's someone to pick me up from the airport. You know, there's that's the kind of connections I try to make within the communities that I live in. And so for me, that has been, a it's shifted so many things in my life in so many ways. I remember being in 
Mexico and finding out that I urgently needed to do a procedure and there wasn't anyone around um, and I have health insurance, right? And so I knew I was going to get everything I needed. I wasn't worried about that, but you know, it's the emotional part of, you know, having to do a procedure. And I had just met someone a week before who was my dentist and became really good friends with them. And they literally stopped what they were doing in their lives, stopped their practice, was with me before the procedure, during, after, made meals for me. I mean, like the way that I've learned about people, their kindness, the type of community that you can develop, like it's really changed a lot of my ideas about humanity because I've experienced that so many different times in so many different countries. Well, that's really nice to have that perspective on what humans can be and can do. Is was there is there anything I mean you you kind of already alluded to some of it, but is there anything like if you were gonna if you're coaching someone or you have a colleague that's talking to you about it and they're considering this, is there what are some of like the either red flags or disadvantages that you'd be like, just make sure that you're okay with X, Y, and Z before you take this plunge? Like what are the warnings you would give to them? I don't know if it's really a warning because if they experienced it, maybe that's what they needed for their journey. But you have to be flexible. You have to be flexible. You know, I've been to places where then there's not water for a few days, or maybe there's no light for a few days. Or I lived in a place where there were lots of scorpions. And that took a lot of mental work for me to see scorpions. Check those shoes. (laughs) I still wouldn't say there's very little things that I can think about that would be a contraindication to going unless you just simply don't like leaving where you are. You don't like engaging with people who think differently than you. Maybe that would be a reason not to want to do it. You don't have like a curiosity or openness about other perspectives. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little bite to some of this that you're saying (laughs) you can still travel, but it just makes it probably less fun, you know, because I think part of the fun of travel is, the learning and the exploration and seeing how your perspective could be shifted and could be open through someone else's. All right. Well, if our listeners find this inspiring, they want to get in touch with you, they want to do what you're doing, well, where can people find you online? They could find me at my website, thenomadmd.com. I'm on IG at The Nomad MDs and Facebook at The Nomad MD. The Nomad MD, all the way through. Dr. Christine Goins, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Rabbits builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit pearsonrabbits.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, 
This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.